Hi guys and welcome back to the Apex Delta Coaching Podcast. My name is Kieran Moore and I'm the head coach and owner of Apex Delta Coaching. On this show, my aim is to help educate, inform and drive you to get stronger, fitter and more resilient as an athlete and human. I'll discuss different topics in strength, fitness, mindset and more, as well as talking with guests on their area of expertise. So you can upgrade your training and reach your peak performance. Today I sat down with Marcus Campopiano. Marcus is a SNC coach, keen cricketer and a current mentor of mine. In this episode we discuss Marcus's work in youth athlete development and physical training in schools, his coaching philosophies and how he's developed along the way and then we look into how he approaches SNC within cricket. With that, let's get into today's show. Hi Marcus, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, laptop's packed up this morning, so I'm into uh, into school. Nice, nice, good. Um, so yeah, I think it'd be nice to start then with a bit of an introduction. So you explaining who you are, what you do, uh, and then a bit around how you got to where you are. Awesome, yeah. So I'm Marcus. I went to uni at uh, Portsmouth, uh, did exercise and sports science there, uh, went on did some like uh, volunteering roles uh, within the rugby club, SNC, and then I moved on to my postgrad, which I also did at Portsmouth, and that was in sports performance. And that was a really enjoyable course, did SNC, uh, sports psychology, and a placement. The placement I did at Portsmouth Grammar School, so I did a, a, all the morning, uh, did two or three mornings a week there. And whilst I, uh, as I did that, I then got more to know about the school and did another year as a bit of a, like a part-time paid role at Portsmouth Grammar School. Uh, as the and that kind of worked alongside my uh, sports VP sports role at Portsmouth, which was a really good role of like uh, becoming the sport representation for the university, and that kind of taught me a lot about the kind of participation side, um, not so much the sports performance, but sports management role. From there, I went to Australia, uh, played some cricket over there for six months in Tasmania and uh, played some rugby uh, in Darwin, which is an awesome experience and did some kind of volunteering at Hobart Hurricanes whilst I was over there, uh, kind of on the fly, not not very formal, but really enjoyable experience nonetheless. Um, Absolutely loved strength and conditioning, physical development in my own sport. Uh, played a lot of cricket when I came back, uh, represented the county Sussex Twos, which was awesome in my cricket. And then from there, got a job at Kingston Grammar School, where I am now. And I've been working here for two years. Um, I've kept on cricket coaching at Sussex as well. So I work at the academy there and kind of just do um, on-the-fly coaching as well, uh, Friday evenings. But yeah, basically love S&C, love youth development at the school I work with all ages from 12 to 18. So I work with the scholars and I also work with the like top performer squad players. So I usually feel, kind of see around about 100 to 120 kids a week and coach hockey and cricket at the school as well. So that's kind of me in a couple of minutes. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting story. I think you've obviously had a pretty wide-ranging um different roles obviously within through university and then obviously where to, you are now working with with youth athletes obviously that's how we we know each other um 
interning under you essentially um at yeah. kingston which so far has been an awesome experience and and albeit slightly changed due to covid but um mm. it's what it is but um yeah it's been it's been really interesting to see the kind of the the the, the approaches that you've taken and that need to be taken when working with youth athletes as opposed to adults or or athletes within sort of different sports obviously primarily kingston's um focus is is on sort of field sports so your your hockey and football and um rowing as well is another one i suppose but that's not necessarily it's a little bit of a different approach there but um what do you what has your experience been been within obviously the youth physical prep and and snc specifically and then we can obviously move into talking about like how that fits in within the school setting i think the first the first thing i'd say about youth athlete development <clears throat> is you've just got it's a lot of fun because the kids don't have, you are building their first perception of strength and conditioning so as well working with adults or working with an older population you've got to a lot of the time you've got to un pick a lot of the things that they've learned and then you can relearn teach them your philosophy whereas the kids they're learning for the first time i'm very fortunate at kingston we've got a cracking set of kids they are very intelligent want to learn and are keen to make themselves better so i'm very fortunate in that respect uh and i love to play i love playing uh if you go on a night out with me i'll be playing games the whole time uh so what I get to do with coaching is I get to play games the whole time. So picking up a piece of, you know, whatever it might be, learning how to squat, learning how to hinge, and then creating a game around that. Or, you know, one of my favourite ones was like, we were trying to create a stiff back foot contact at, in cricket in fast bowling, for example. So we played, uh, we played musical cones, but you can, uh, walk around the cones you have to hop around the cones and just things like that kind of just extensive plyometrics but it's a fun game because you're trying to grab a cone at the end of it i mean that's personally my favorite bit about it um at kingston i got the benefit of working with a wide range as well so you've got like the 12 13 year olds <clears throat> lots of gameplay lots of movement competency stuff and then you've got the 17 18 year olds who are beginning to specialize um, you get a little bit more into the proper strength and conditioning protocols, um, sets, reps. Uh, but they also love to play. Like we always play a lot of like pickup basketball, just throw it around for five, 10 minutes. I think what a better way to teach agility, acceleration, deceleration, uh, than playing it in a game. So, yeah, I think youth athlete development for me is you've got to keep them coming back. If they don't want to come back, then they're going to be lost. They don't quite know what they want yet. So that intrinsic motivation of almost extrinsic, but I want to be England hockey player. I want to win this cup for my team. They don't quite understand that yet. But what they do understand is being present in the moment and having fun, uh, which is often better way of developing yourself as an athlete. And that's why I really enjoy working with that kind of age group. I suppose, yeah, you, you, you've been in a very lucky situation in which that some of the youth athletes at Kingston are incredibly high performers and will, if they stick with it, go on to be very good athletes in their respective sports. Um, and it's, it's been really interesting for me to see as well, like how, yeah, as you say, you, you can really shape 
the the, the path that they're going to be able to take in the future through the physical prep side um, to such a high degree because obviously as you said like you can come in and completely um, lay down the foundation how you want them to to do because they have no preconceptions whereas obviously yeah. training with adults is it's is very different that by and large most adults and most athletes will come in with a preconceived idea of what snc is and then you mm. kind of have to maybe mold that and change that based on what you what you want from them whereas obviously in, in your setting you you have that ability and freedom to really really kind of have a, a proper impact yeah. which, which you which is a real struggle i think with with some athlete type scenarios when you're working with adults especially um where where do you see there being um potentially similarities and then differences in the actual physical prep side of it with working with um, the youth athletes versus the versus adults and then maybe how that differs them through the age groups. I, th I think this almost answers the question, but also going back to an early point, 99% of the athletes that you're going to work with at a school aren't going to go play international sport, sport of a, you know, a professional level. So what I mean, one of my main jobs is creating a pathway that then when they leave the school, they know how to train themselves for hockey, uh, train themselves for university hockey, train themselves for club hockey, or if they're not going to go through that path, can they just stay fit? Can they stay healthy? Can they, you know, we've got intelligent kids who are going to be lots of bankers, lawyers. Can they keep themselves fit during that period? So they've got that mental health, that security and, knowing how to develop themselves safely. So I think that's a big part of the role and that's why the education of it is huge. Teaching them about strength, teaching them about fitness and what is the best way to go about that. I'd like to say that the differences between kind of your teaching an adult and teaching a kid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to differentiate too much because I still think that play has to be at the heart of what we do. It's, and fun has to be at the heart, heart of what we do, but then fun just slightly changes. Fun can be at the top level, absolutely go and blitz out on a, a conditioning protocol or a five, five by five strength, or you might be doing you know, some other plyometrics, but the fun actually is the improving and the working hard during that moment. With the kids, they don't quite understand that yet, understandably, so they just, they just want to have so can you give them fun? Can you give them a game? Can you give them basketball? Can you give them musical cones? Can you give them, um, we like to play like this hopping game with fish and frogs. And can you get them to move like animals? Can you get them to move like superheroes? And then they kind of feel like that's fun when they build up a pro, like a positive uh, association to physical development. That's when you start dropping in a few more things like, right, we're going to go for, a five RM trap bar deadlift. And that was one of the best sessions. I think you would agree that we had at the school. Oh, was awesome. Yeah. The atmosphere we, was great. Yeah. We got the kit. We got the, we did a lot of technical work. We wanted to make sure they had a really robust protocol. And then the girls, often I find that we've got a great group of girls um, at the school in our 16s. I mean, they're great throughout the school, but this, this particular year group is excellent. And one of the things that we often talk about is that they're not, these girls could do more. And then we, we through a lot of hard work, five weeks, and we got a five RM trap bar deadlift. And it was such a cool session. And they lifted, and we had lifting, girls lifting over a hundred kilos. And it was awesome. And that, that was fun. 
So there is different different degrees of fun, but I think it's always got to be about the athlete. Can you make the athlete buy into what your philosophy is, and then can you mould that philosophy to them? And I think it's a to and fro between the two. So yeah, I think um, it's, it's adherence, isn't it? Is the underlying thing you're looking for, but obviously how that say with adults you, you can very much go people the reason people stay is because of results and athletes mm-hmm. especially they're looking for results and that's why they do the snc whereas obviously with the kids as they said they don't quite understand that 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 concept quite yet and it's interesting to see because obviously the older some of the older kids so the 16s and above even do start to understand that a little bit whereas obviously yeah. working with the younger kids which is something i've never had that experience of before and it is very much they don't really care about the outcome necessarily they just enjoy the process of doing it in the moment and if you can make it obviously as fun and as game-based as possible that that helps hugely in getting buy-in from kids that otherwise just wouldn't be interested in the physical prep side of it at all yeah and just building on that sometimes it's getting excited for the child about like when they nail their squat or they nail a, a hinge pattern and they've never done that before you know, I've had a couple of girls come in at year seven, absolutely nowhere near the hinge pattern that they need. But over six, 12 months, they then start to get it. And then that's fun because they start to enjoy that personal development side of it. And that's that, that positive association with physical development that I'm talking about. When they start to realize that they're getting better at what they're doing because of the work that they're putting in, that then like self-fulfilling prophecy of itself it creates more um creates more work for them because they know what they're going to get out of it and it's um it doesn't always have to be fun but there has to be there has to be a purpose to what you're doing and then if they know if they can understand that purpose they're more likely to come along with you yeah definitely i'd agree with that 100 percent. i think it'd be interesting now to talk about kind of uh, your your training philosophy and how maybe that has as adapted so i think it'd be, be cool to sort of dig into more like the actual nuts and bolts of what your what your aim has been over the last six 12 months with the kids at the school mm. um and then maybe how that feeds into like a, an individual training block or an individual week or day or how you lay out and the physical qualities that you're actually looking to to chase with these guys yeah awesome i've always tried to make sessions Always try to make sessions challenging, fun, um, safe. That's kind of always over overarching. But as I've drilled down more into what that means, I guess I didn't really have a clue. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant when I was a little bit, just even a six, 12 months ago, I didn't know what that meant. But now I'm pretty happy with creating large amounts of impulse through appropriate contact times for that individual. So if that's a prop forward in rugby, can they create huge amounts of force, non like a, an isometric level almost in the scrum? Or if they're a sprinter, can they create huge amounts of impulse in that 100 milliseconds? So creating large amounts of impulse can come through various means, but like, you know, your trap bar deadlifts, your big lifts, trying to put force through the floor. And then your contact times, I think that comes down to joining integrity. So I'm a big believer now in like, creating strong feet I think that's really important I think that's something that some people have and something that I certainly feel like people don't have if they're dissipating force through that contact and they're losing force every time it doesn't matter how strong your legs are 
you're just going to lose that force through the ankle. So kind of, it's I guess it's plugging the hole of where the bucket is leaking. And so, I mean, there's like that secret athleticism. I think Chongji, he talks a lot about strong feet and his hyper arch thing. I see, I see value in creating strong feet. Um, uh, some of the things I've been looking at with David Gray and Connor Harris, these guys are excellent in this field. I'm sure there are many more, but with around the pelvis function. So can we get the pelvis moving properly? Can we get the rib cage moving properly? Uh, and that is going to create the right kind of structures. So creating strong hamstrings, reducing, re- not reducing anterior pelvic tilt, but being able to come in and out of anterior pelvic tilt when you need to. Can you compress the pelvis? Can you expand the pelvis? I feel like these things are now becoming very important for me. Uh, and then I guess that comes down to biomechanics will always guide you. So if you create the right biomechanics, if you have the right structure, that will create the right function. Whereas if you're if you're fighting from the wrong starting point, you're never going to win. Um, you know, it's like not having all the instructions before you start a game or something. You're never going to win because you never know where you started. So I think if I was going to take that down, it's like, you know, biomechanics guides you, get the right starting position, appropriate foot mechanics, pelvic mechanics, thorax mechanics, and then can we create large amounts of impulse in the correct contact time? That is overarched by you must play the sport. If you continue to play your sport, then you're going to become better at it. So I've almost gone from, I always thought the, strength and conditioning was about performance i now start to think a little bit more about both sides so the health side and the performance side if you can make someone healthy if they can continue to train for 10 months of their season they're actually going to be better for it for example in cricket such a skill dominated sport if you're missing net sessions and batting sessions you're not going to get better as a batter you've got to be hitting balls and balls and balls and if you're always injured because you're overdoing the strength work that you're your point was, it was irrelevant doing all this training anyway. So I think I have shifted a little bit more to the health side of things, especially in the off season. Uh, and I, I think that is a, that's a change that I've been making gradually. Yeah, I think, it, I think that's a, that's a key, that's a key point to make. And I think it's one that's maybe traditionally missed with S and C coaches. And I don't know if that's exacerbated through things like maybe sort of, university type education where it is all very very much focused on s and c and and all of it comes from a very kind of i think traditionally powerlifting sort of focus mm. um standpoint yeah whereby it's it's like we do these things and we get really strong and that helps our athletes and it's like well yes to an extent and it helps with that like you talked about like the idea of impulse and force generation and being able to do that within the time demands that are placed within sport which are sprinting is incredibly incredibly fast contract contractions that are having to happen and forces that are having to be mm. created in that time and it's like well if you're only ever doing lots and lots of strength work that's probably not helping you in in every degree so you have to be playing the sport to get better at the sport like you look yeah. at some of the top performers in in sports like football or whatever sport that might be they are the best athletes because they're the best athletes like you could take the physical side away from them and they'd probably still be top 10 in the world. Like it's not going to change because they are just very skilled at their sport, but obviously what the SNC does, and I think where it then plays into the youth side of it as well, which is really interesting is how you're actually then creating longevity for them. So a stronger athlete is potentially one that's more robust 
Yeah. And so they're then less likely to become injured. And if they are less in, if they're less likely to become injured, they can play the sport more and they can get better. So it's like and they can they can push the boundaries of that sport as well. Like you can start to when you start to get out of that comfort zone of what you feel like it was possible. I mean, you've got you've you've got to have the foundations of being fast, or if it was an invasion game, you have to have the ability to sprint around someone, or your skill is not going to be as useful. Um, but if you have the if you become faster, you give yourself the prerequisite ability to sprint around someone that you can build that, but you're never, it all comes at the same time for me. I think you can't, you can't have one without the other. You have to have the physical, the technical, the tactical, the mental side of it. If you don't have those, if one of them is hurting you, you, you won't make it to the, your, your best potential. So it's a holistic approach, isn't it? I think typically too much emphasis has probably been placed into one or two of those areas and the other side of it completely ignored and I think that's the biomechanic side of it which I think is really interesting and that's an area that that you and me have both been sort of looking into more recently and I think it's such an interesting area because you say if you, if you don't start from the right point it's very hard to then progress in any meaningful way and make actual difference if you if you're sort of ignoring some underlying facts if you like of biomechanics that there are optimal positions to be in to do certain things um yes self-organization and your body can will adapt to different things but say like if you're especially in a team sport athlete where your only interaction with the with the ground and your only ability to actually create movement is through your feet because they're the only they're the only contact point you have with the floor mm. so if you're working inefficiently or if the biomechanics at your foot is is not optimal everything above that is is thrown out and you can work all you like on sort of all the other elements of that but if you if you don't start at the bottom it's very hard to then affect proper change anywhere further up the chain um but it makes sense doesn't it you, you fix the, yeah you fix the thing at the core and then you've at least got a chance of fixing what was at the end um and that's like that classic oh my knee hurts well the pain is never at the knee the pain is at the hip of the foot or the you know it's always one up one down on the joints so that's that's been known for a long time but now actually learning how to train that restore the pelvic tilt i mean like amazing stuff i've been doing the program the lower body basics program by david gray i'd massively recommend it to anyone but a lot of it is around kind of hamstring isometric eccentric strength and it makes sense that the, it's a biarticular muscle. <clears throat> it spans two joints. We've got to make it, it's got to create isometric strength so that it can let the rest of the body function. And then if I can keep that, if we can delay that knee extension in top level, in top sprinting, if we can delay that knee extension, it means the hip can extend. Whereas if that knee's already extended, the hip's not got a chance to extend. It's not got any push off. So that, that hamstring has to isometric contract. Well, let's train that then. You know, we're not going to train a hip hinge, or we're not going to train a single leg RDL to get greater hamstring isometric strength. We need to train isometric strength. And I think that dynamic correspondence, that actually <clears throat> trying to train what you want to train, you reap what you sow, and you need to create the right resources for the demand. And I think this is where some of the lockdown training gets lost a little bit because people start doing a 5K run for their sport well, actually, your sport was an intermittent sport. So maybe, I'm not saying that 5K is an awful idea, 
and there are mental health benefits to a, what is quite a tough lockdown. But if you're looking for physical performance, why don't you train similarly to what you're doing in your game? Or let's say you want to get stronger to decelerate better, to change direction better. Okay, well, let's let's train strength. Let's train high-level strength. And then that becomes very difficult at home because you haven't got the, the, the equipment to overload that certain movement pattern. You've only got your body weight. All right, yes, it's challenging, but doing burpees and doing push-ups, doing poor squat mechanics, doing poor hinge mechanics. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a hinge in these... Um, in these lockdown hit workouts, but they're not overloading the right pattern. We're getting better at doing burpees. And yes, if you're doing it for a, a purely mental health point of view, just to stay fit, I've got no problem with that. But then when you're saying it's a, a sport specific workout, can we, can we do better than that? I think that's what I'm trying to challenge. I think yeah, when you look at those kind of things, it's, it's, it's usually pretty much exactly the same thing the same stimulus just dressed up in a different way with different exercises and it's like mm. essentially you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again you're just changing the exercises up slightly and you're choosing variations of exercises that have no real sort of sensical purpose and they're not really diet driving you to any any specific area and maybe if you're kind of a, a more general pop, population type person and you're only focused on kind of general health and you're trying to keep moving that's that's brilliant but yeah say if you're an athlete that's looking for for physical prep like this lockdown period is actually a brilliant opportunity to to focus on things that potentially you wouldn't have been doing otherwise Mm. and get yourself into a into a position that when sports seasons and training can resume properly or in sort of like complete whatever they look like before you're you're in a much better position to start building on these kind of physical qualities that are important for sport versus just being in a place where it's like you've just been training almost randomly for the last six months and it's not really led you to anything that's going to be beneficial yeah and it comes it comes back to that principle of overload and you did a great podcast on periodization and supercompensation, and it comes back to that you've got to let the you've got to push the body down so that it readapts otherwise if you keep changing up, it's very difficult to adapt to that stimulus because it never has enough time to to push you into that alert response so that the body supercompensates and adapts. But yeah, variation and exercise variation is such an overhyped principle. It's like to, to really get adaptation and drive the things you want to drive forward, you, you need to be doing those those things probably fairly consecutively within training sessions over over periods of weeks and months to actually get the adaptations you're looking for if you're constantly changing things up you kind of you're never really driving anything in the direction you want it to go in you're kind of just scattergun approaching it and hoping that something sticks yeah and i think just to just to finalize like i don't want to i don't want to hate on any like i think the people who who have properly given this a go and they've created movement and they've created people to get excited about moving they quite enjoy like this it's almost like a crossfit type i really encourage people to get involved and at least get out and do stuff because doing some stuff is better than no stuff and oh yeah absolutely and i think it's just if you can challenge that next level um but look keep people staying active is important so i'm I'm very pleased that people do that yeah, I think it's be this is a good time to segue now into. So obviously, you work within the school setting, 
Um, you've seen mm-hmm. kind of both sides of it from an athlete prep perspective, obviously within the, the athletes that you're working with, but also then within the kind of more general side of it of, of S&C, PE, physical development within school on a sort of a general setting. It'd be interesting to hear your perspective on where that's maybe at at the moment and where you think it could go um, in the future. Yeah, great question. I think, so what I tried to do at the school was create a health and performance pyramid. So at the top of that pyramid, at 18 years old, we want them to leave being self-sufficient, being strong, being fast, and know how to train themselves in on their on their journey to wherever they want to be. It's really important that you've put the, the individual at the heart of what you're doing. So can our philosophy or is can we make every can we give every athlete the opportunity to be as good as they want to be? <clears throat> so whether that is Joe Bloggs never wants to do any sport, but he wants to stay fit and healthy because he understands the mental benefits. Or I want to play for England hockey team GB. I want to be a professional cricketer. So can we give everyone what they want from seven years? So within that health and performance pyramid, so starting at the top is what we want to achieve, but then starting right at the bottom, you've got your fundamental movement patterns, global movement patterns, and your foundational movement, foundations of movement skills, I call it. So within the fundamental movement skills, you've got crawling, you've got manipulation, in the global movements, you've got striking, throwing, kicking. Um, and then within the foundations of movement, I feel like you've got squat, hinge, push and pull, anti-rotate. So at the school, we started right at the bottom in years one to three. Actually, one to five did the, the fundamental movement program. So this is where we taught, we really peeled back and we taught the squat, we taught the hinge. These are two movements that I think are absolutely fundamental. If you think about how the move, if you think about how your body moves, in your lower body it either hinges it squats or you can do a calf raise so you've got the hip knee and ankle knee and hip extension we've got to be able to teach these flexion extension movements independently so that, that when you reintegrate it back into your sport you then have increased sport performance so i think if you for example in uh cricket you will be squatting and hinging at the same time so but you don't want to just practice squatting and hinging all the time. You want to make sure those movements are separate so that then when they understand both of them and they can perform them, execute them properly, then they can be reintegrated back into the sporting skill. And I even think that is in within S&C. So if you start with a complete hinge with no knee bend and you start with a knee bend with minimal hip bend, so your back is completely upright, that then comes back into, and that peaks towards a trap bar deadlift or a back squat where you can put lots of force through the floor because you are using the hinge and the squat. That was a bit of a a tangent, but so starting at that foundations of movement, you've got like the learning how to squat. So I I want people to have a really upright back. So you've got a weight out in front. You've got that balance issue of, can you put a counterbalance in front? So can you, have you got the ankle mobility or are we going to raise the heels? And then are we going to put a counterweight in front of you? So two, three, four, five kilo plate in front of you. So then you can push your bum back. So that that helps with that balance problem. With the hinging problem, it's all about can they control their their knee 
And then can they extend through the hip and push the bum back to make sure uh, that the hinge can come over the top? The next trouble you've got is whilst teaching these movement skills, you don't want to be too intrinsic with what you're saying because a child might not even understand what the hamstring is yet. It might not under, they might not understand where the bum is. They might not understand if hitting, their back is straight. So you want to create a constraints-based approach and a language that means that. Move your back pockets to the wall. All right, okay, well, I'm just moving my back pockets then. That, that means it's, it's slightly easier for them. Or can they have a dowel rod on their back so that they know if they've moved off, off of the straight and their lower back is bending? Once you've broken that down, you can then start to see where the movement fault is. Is it a, have they got an issue around the pelvis? Can they not compress the pelvis? Or have they got an issue around uh, knee extension or knee flexion? And breaking these skills down in the fundamental movement program, for me, is vital because then once we've built those strong foundations, then they can start to extend up the pyramid. Um, so once we've extended up the pyramid, we're looking at just that fitness triangle of strength, speed and conditioning. And I'm trying not to, I don't want those things to get too muddled up at this stage. So if they are sprinting, I want them just out and out sprinting, having fun, acceleration races, um, sprinting races. Uh, I've never seen such a good event as a relay race between a group of 30 kids. They absolutely love it. They're all sprinting maximally. And um, so then you've got that sprinting stimulus there with our strength stuff. We've just all we've done is build on the foundations of the program and just started to overload it slightly, whether it be with a um, with a barbell, with a kettlebell, with a dumbbell. We've just started to overload that movement pattern so that we're starting to get stronger. So that's moved now into year three, year four, year five. Uh, as we extend up that pyramid to year five, year six, year seven, you've got repeat, repeat sprintability. Um, can you can we now create repeated bouts of exercise? Um, agility. We've learned how to accelerate, how to decelerate. Can we now put that into an agility context? So can you evade someone? Can you lose someone? Uh, can you swerve? Can you cut? Things like that. Uh, and then you've got your power element as well. So we might move into a bit of Olympic lifting. We might move into kind of high level biometrics, depending on where that athlete is. Um, I, I like to use that kind of the, the Arsenal strategic framework of, and I'd fully re recommend anyone to watch like a Paul Roddy, his podcast. Um, so it moves from how well, how well can you move at the bottom layer? Um, and then to, uh, I think it's how well and how much, and then how well and how fast. I, that's not quite exactly right, but just kind of challenging that really basic, like can I look at this movement pattern and can it look excellent up until 13, 14, 15? If they can't do that, then they have to stay down at the foundational level. And then it's up to your coaching to make sure that they can, if you can analyze that fault and then readdress it. Um, and then moving up there, you've got, can they, you might start to periodize and taper towards the top end, but with kids, just let them play. So that is, throughout the framework is letting them play from years one to seven or 12 to 18. They've got to be playing their sport. And if they're not playing their sport, then you've got return to play at the other side. So making sure we get them back into that sport, which is probably another podcast entirely.
So just making sure I completely like summarize that it's moving up the chain. So making sure they're moving very well at the bottom layer. So when they go through that adolescent awkwardness at maturation, peak heart velocity, we can regain that and they can understand the wrong strike, the right movement patterns. Once they've gone through that, they can really start to overload those movement patterns through that increased testosterone. Um, and then once they've gone through that peak heart velocity, they know kind of they start to specialize a little bit in what their sport is. Then you start hammering them with your S&C protocols. Yeah, which I think is, that's been, been great for me to see as well within the school, how you've implemented that. And I think it's something that I know you're starting to work on and it's, it's something that I think could have so much value if it was brought into more school scenarios. And I think teaching basic movement competencies to as many kids as is possible um, in yeah, sort of as wide a context as possible would be so, so beneficial for people going forward, not just on the physical prep side in terms of like performance, but also on the health side and the general general ability to go forward in life and, and be a sort of a happy, healthy, call it functional person. Uh, and I think that's something that's missed. I know certainly from my experiences through school and college, like getting to sort of see 16 year olds that couldn't squat, can't hinge, can't do these movement patterns that are seen as fundamental. Like your body has the ability to do them and should be able to do them to a high degree, not necessarily be able to lift huge weights, but do the movement. And yeah. seeing these things absolutely um, like butchered and unable, like kids unable to do them. And it's like, you've got to this age at 16, it's like, how have you, how have you got there? And, it, and I think it is, it is through just a lack of, a lack of understanding, a lack of time spent when they're younger, teaching them those movements. I'm so pleased you brought me back to that because that is what is important here, is the child moving well not my boring strategy and framework It is, can you let, can you give this kid the opportunity to move well? Because they're going to have to climb stairs for their entire life. They're going to have to carry the shopping in. Can we make this individual have the ability to squat and hinge? But I think the problem is, is that we think these skills are easy and we never, we're never accountable as an SDC coach or a sport, like te a technical coach never seems accountable at 16, 17 years old. They always go, well, how does he, how can he not squat and hinge? Well, no one taught him. No one taught her how to do it. So why do you expect them to do it? Like, we don't expect anyone to know what algebra is until they've been taught it. They're, but it's such a basic skill that we need. And that is physical literacy for me. And I think where, where schools and the PE framework, from what my small experience is, is that we've taught badminton, we've taught football, we've taught... Um, basketball but we've taught the rules of it and that and that for me is only applicable to that in that sport now once you've learned how to learn rules you probably only need two sports within your curriculum three two terms worth in two half terms learning how to learn rules because that is just part of learning sport but the main part of it is can you be healthy can you can you go to the gym and feel comfortable doing a body pump workout with a good strength a good good squat, good hinge, good push, good pull. And can we teach you those skills so that then when you leave the school, you are ready for your life in terms of staying fit, staying healthy. The benefit is, is that everyone can benefit from this. So that's why I kind of built the foundations and movement program that I've tried to put online because these skills shouldn't be 
just designed for an athletic population. This is designed for the entire population. It's almost like the rules, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is the rules of the game of life. It's the alphabet. It's It's the alphabet. You wouldn't learn Shakespeare without the alphabet. This is the alphabet. The the squatting, the hinging, it's the alphabet of your movement competency. And yeah, not everybody's going to go on and be Shakespeare, be the the high-performing athlete in that scenario. But if... They're all going to speak English. If Yeah, if everybody doesn't have the alphabet, then where? how do they even begin to go along that path in any capacity? It's, It's a hard one to... I think, yeah, you say that, that movement literally needs to be the first step and should be introduced at very young ages within schools. And I, I think this is where I'm not saying it should completely shift, but a six to 12 week block of teaching people how to move in the first, second and third year. So that's year seven, year eight, year nine for us. That's got to have some way to go. Like That, that has to have a good impact on that kid. Hmm. Um, and you keep you keep the basketball in there but why don't we teach them how to jump and land for 15 minutes and then we take them into basketball so they can practice that skill within the, within the framework. Whereas at the moment, I feel like we're teaching volleyball and they learn, they do jump in that game, but they've never learned how to jump and land. So we're just hoping they get better rather than actually creating a, um, an environment where they do practice that skill. Um, could be a big thing moving forward, especially for independent schools who don't have a, a framework to, uh, they can design their own framework. I think, yeah, that that's definitely, it's probably the easier way to go with that, isn't it? Is bring it into the independent schools whereby they have the freedom almost to, to implement that stuff. I think when you're sort of talking then about sort of wider sort of state schools, it's, it's, a, it's a harder question because it's like, can you implement something in one school that can be implemented in every school across the country? That's a little bit of a harder one, but I mean, it, it comes back to like the curriculum, doesn't it? Like PE, that should be an element of PE rather than just like, here's five, six sports that we're going to just cycle through on a kind of rotating wheel every, every year. And it's like, can you fit into that somewhere, some element of physical literacy training and, and call that, in and of itself as a sport like that is yeah, it, yeah it, i think at know, kingston grammar school hopefully hopefully now we'll have that ability so like at kingston we did a six-week fundamental movement block where um i used a we, we did coaching insets once every fortnight to teach the next two weeks of how to squat and how to hinge how to accelerate how to decelerate now i'm not saying that it was the most exhilarating teaching experience but these are the basics you need to learn them at some stage they don't it doesn't all have to be fun but what I see it now is progressing into instead of a six week block, it's a 12 to 18 week block, but it will match it with a skill. So now the, now the teacher has the ability to coach the hinge. Why don't we do rowing for a three week block, but we also do it with teaching the hinge and then they're learning the hinge within a, in a rowing capacity. Um, or let's learn how to accelerate and decelerate and we play football, but it's like kind of almost like a coaching session. I think that'd be an awesome blend which is something I'd love yeah, to do. It has to be the easiest way to implement it, doesn't it? Because for the kids, it, it can be very hard to explain, like we're doing this squat for this reason. Yeah. And they don't care at the end of the day about that. They're like, I want to just go and play my sport. That's what I enjoy doing. But it's... it's but so I can make you better at that. Exactly, yeah. But then also on the flip side of that, it, it's, the, it's the sports coaches, it's the technical coaches that have to be on and teachers I suppose ultimately in PE that have to be educated in the sense of like we want you to understand why you're teaching this 
so that you can teach it. But the best way to do that is through integrating it with their speciality, their sport. So it's like you take the football coach, you take the rowing coach and you say, cool, we're going to, you're, you're in charge of teaching this, this movement. And you can fit that within a skill that's sport relevant as, as much as you want to make that more applicable and make that more engaging for the kids. But it's, and that's it's, probably where you take the advice from the PE teacher. This is their specialist. Like they are the PE teacher. They're excellent at what they do. They manage the room better than you would. Like, how can you, how can you benefit? And this is what support services is. Like, how can I benefit what you're trying to do so that your thing is better rather than this is what I'm doing you've got to now do it and and that's where I'm a massive believer in being a generalist not a specialist so if you can have loads and loads of skills especially in a school setting where it doesn't need to be elite specialism if you could have loads and loads of skills I mean what what an opportunity to coach coach a child over seven years if you have the how to teach a physical literacy how to cricket coach how to teach basketball awesome skills that PE teachers have like knowing everything about sports yeah I think as much as within SNC we're very quick to tell others to stay within their specific lanes, I think equally that has to kind of be reflected back and have to realise, yeah, the sport coaches know more about their sport than we do potentially and then there has to be an interdisciplinary approach to getting the same common out outcome from that, especially in a school setting where it is just trying to make the kids understand health, fitness and be able to apply that into their lives. Yeah. Cool. I think last bit before we sort of start to close up, I think it'd be interesting to sort of briefly talk about, and I mean, it's a big topic, but cricket SNC, I know it's obviously something mm -hmm. you're incredibly passionate about in terms of cricket. And I'd love to uh, sort of hear your perspective on what you feel like, I know, especially within sort of stuff like fast bowling as a, as a kind of a, an area within mm -hmm. that, like what you feel like the, the physical prep side of that should or, or does look like. So I've just talking about that generous. I'm I'm very fortunate that I was always cricket coaching from kind of the ages of eight, 17, 18. I was massively into my cricket coaching. I've continued that for seven, eight years. And I found that as I've improved in my SNC knowledge, I've improved in my cricket knowledge because biomechanics guides what we do and movement is movement. So learning how to run in the, so having a good run up. Uh, so I'll quickly go over what, for me, SNC fast bowling is. So you've got the run-up to gain the momentum. You've got the impulse stride, which puts you into your gather. You've got your back foot contact, which needs to be stiff so that you can apply that momentum that you've created in your run-up to, um, to the crease and to the ball, because that's what you're looking for as a result of velocity. So you build that run-up speed. You create, like you continue that momentum through the run-up. And then as you land on that front foot contact, you are then allowed, you're kind of, controlling the collision at the front foot contact so that you can create a, an arc you can create a pivot point of which your upper body can rotate around uh, and once you rotate around the upper body you've got that rotational velocity the ro the linear momentum that's come in and then you've got that result of ball velocity so run up impulse drive back foot contact front foot, front leg place rotation rapid <laughs> yeah. so that's the plan now, as a cricket coach, I didn't understand. As an SNC coach, I can break that down. So run up, what's their stride pattern like? What's their lumbo pelvic control like? What's their arm movement? And then you start to kind of gauge. Okay, so 
you can break it down into the certain movement skills. So if they've got a bad, if they've got poor running mechanics, you start there. Because if you can turn someone into a sprinter, they're going to be better at their hockey, they're going to be better at their football, and they're going to be better at fast bowling. So you start with this, I would say you start with sprint mechanics and you start from a general to a more specific um, and making sure they, they sprint every week, 150 to 200 metres every week. They're going to get better at sprinting. Try and get them to use their arms, try and get them to run with rhythm. Um, and then that will hopefully filter in into their run up. Once you get to their back foot contact, this is then about stiffness. OK, so can they can they absorb that force? and then not allow it to dissipate into the floor. So can they, this comes back to that joint integrity at the ankle. So can they have, can they have strong feet? Like if do they have strong, do they have a strong ankle calf complex. Once we've associated the, the floor there, if the floor is there, then again, we kind of just turn them into a sprinter because a sprinter needs fast, fast contacts, um, strong back foot contacts, sorry, strong foot contacts in general. So that's that S&C cricket background. Once we've gone through that, we've got the front leg brace. So have they got the correct lumbo-pelvic control that they can extend that front leg out, pull down, come back towards us? So have they got the right hamstring length? Have they got the right um, compression mechanics? And then we start to train that. And then if that's the issue, if it's hip extension or is it delayed knee extension, uh, isometric strength again through the hamstring, now, all of this is S&C, but it's also fast bowling. So any, hopefully, you know, as I go and move into my S&C coaching career, whatever it is, I've got a good relationship with the cricket coach, the cricket fast bowling coach, because this is fundamental to what they're trying to do. And we've, we're all got the same impact. Then we're looking at the rotational ability of the athlete. Has they got the correct mobility around the pelvis? Have they got the correct mobility around the thoracic? Can they find these end ranges of motion so they can apply force to that ball? Now, where the cricket coaching and the SSC coaching comes into it is like where are they, where are they starting in their gather? Where, where's the ball starting? How are they? What's their wrist position so that they can swing the ball? Um, what's like the, the the delay, the arm delay? How are we going to create that? So that's kind of where it becomes a little bit more cricket coaching, and then even more so, the cricket coaching then becomes the tactical side. Why did you bowl that delivery? What was your impact? What was your goal before you bowled that delivery? What was the batter? What's the batter been showing you that you then bowled that delivery? Um, and that's where the cricket coaching really becomes the speciality is the mindset, is the, the tactical awareness, but almost the technical awareness, the technical and physical side in fast bowling is, is one and the same for me because you can't have the technique without the physical components to back it up. They? Like, you're not yeah. going to be able to deliver a ball at a speed that's required to be taking wickets if you aren't physically prepared to do that. But equally, if you're not a good bowler and you haven't got that technical underlying factors to it, like you can throw balls as hard as you want, but if they're not on target, then it doesn't matter, does it? So it's... Yeah, and it's, it's impacting... It's creating force on an object which is my game. Like I create force on a barbell so that I can lift it up into a power clean position. Now it's not the same skill, but you can apply it and you can change it. You can reword it however you want, but biomechanics will guide us. And then it's having the correct physiology at the end of it. So can they repeat this for long periods of time? I, I think I'm not a fast bowler. I, no, I can't imagine what it's like to bowl 20 overs, 30 overs in a day. 
but can they, can you create the physiology which is repeat sprints is that 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 high energy demand high max vo2 and then do it day after day incredible skill um hopefully that's a that's a quick yeah you know, recap of fast bowling and snc um, it'd be interesting to see that that blend of of the snc biomechanics and then also the the technical like sports side of it like i think that, that's a really interesting area i think it's something that, that that traditionally everybody's kind of sat within their individual silos it's like i'm a cricket coach i'm a biomechanist i'm whatever and they kind of they approach it from completely different sides and try to get the same outcome at the end of the day mm. whereas if they may be integrated together like it's going to be a much easier and simpler process and also you can then get better results from that because everybody's working towards the same goal and they're all singing from the same song sheet kind of thing. I mean, I was reading an interview from Michael Yardy um, and he's doing a sports psychology masters and he's the batting coach at Kent. And all he talked about was the psychology side of batting. But you're a batting coach. Like the, his general skills now are so at such a high level because he's doing his sports psychology that actually that's what he's finding is having the biggest impacts on his players. That's just another example of being a generalist, not a specialist. They, he can draw on experiences and his own experiences in his mindset to help this batter. But it's not a technical issue. It's not a, it's not a physical issue. It's a, it's a general issue. So I think I can't say I work in, you know, all of the interdisciplinary teams that these elite teams do, and I'd love to have the opportunity to do that. But I can't see how having an elite specialist without being able to communicate is useful. Yeah, I think it's definitely a call for the more holistic approach to things and, and integrating everything rather than just sort of approaching it from one one side, one viewpoint. And I'm sure these elite clubs are doing that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah no, certainly, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it just needs to filter down to the, the school level, the, the sort of the grassroots level as well. Yeah, I mean, Kirtley and James Kirtley and I, who used to be the fast bowling coach, now the T20 coach at Sussex, he was always very keen to talk to me and make sure that I was helping the um, the kids like under under 13 to under 17. Can you can you make sure they've all got good running mechanics, Campo? Because I need that. Because if they're not aligned properly at the crease, I'm not going to have any impact on what they're trying to do at the crease. Um, so you know, we always had a great, idea is the, the great conversation. If they can't, if they can't sort out the first element, and yes, and yeah. everything past that is going to be a bit of a bit of a challenge. The amount of time I've seen the the wrong thing that I'm trying to look at, if they've not they've fallen away at the crease, and I've told them to stand up taller, the problem wasn't there. The problem was uh, crossing their feet four steps ago, and now they try and counterbalance right at the end because they've their feet have been off alignment since since three seconds ago and unfortunately i've made that mistake for a long time i still will yeah awesome it's been a really good chat i think like last thing is just where if you want to be found can you be found what are you working on is there anything you wanted to to plug and i'll put it all in the show notes down below uh yes yeah, so i've got my um foundations of movement program uh online and so you can uh, find that probably from my Facebook. Facebook's probably the best place. Uh, so the Foundation of Movement Programme at Facebook, and then you can find everything in there. On Twitter, I'm Marcus underscore Campo, which I probably more look for, like um, that'll be kind of your S&C coach education, whereas I 
I'll probably be posting more for parents and kids on the Facebook and potentially an Instagram, TikTok page. Who knows? I <laughs> uh, think last thing for me is uh, thank you so much, Gary, for what you're doing at Kingston. It's been brilliant. And um, I really look forward to hopefully getting back to some normality so we can continue the, the March and summer. Yeah, no, it's been awesome so far. I really look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Quality. Have a good, have a good rest of the day, and uh, talk soon, man. You too. See you next week. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for listening in to another episode of the Apex Delta Coaching Podcast. Have a look down below for all the show notes, resources, and links um, that are relevant to the show, or search for Apex Delta Coaching on social media, or just Google apexdeltacoaching.com, and you'll find our website. Lastly, if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Any support is really appreciated and it helps to grow the podcast so more people can benefit from it going forward. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Stay safe and we will talk soon.